So I had quite an interesting week trying to figure out what to preach on. We just finished, or kind of finished a series on going through the chapter 8 of the Bible, or at least the New Testament. If the whole Bible would be here for a while. But genuinely trying to figure out what, what God has been saying to us, what God is doing, what God is doing around the world, what, what He's been doing in our meetings, what, what is God saying to us. And saying, God, show me, show me a passage of Scripture, show me what, what you're speaking to us. And I couldn't, I couldn't narrow it down. So I kept going through multiple different passages, multiple different like, books, and, and trying to figure it out. And then saying, God, what have you been doing amongst us? What has been so unique? And I think I narrowed it down to the peace of God. And we've had some incredible meetings where we're longing for God to move. We're longing for revival. We're longing for awakening. We're longing for outpouring. And I realized that so much of my view of what it will look like when God moves has been dictated to and predicted by my past experiences with God. And I have such this, like a formula of, okay, this is how we do church. This is how God moves. This is how the Holy Spirit moves. And I, I'd realized that over the last couple of weeks and meetings, and God's been speaking to me time after time after time of saying, actually, I want to do a new thing. And I'm doing something new around the world. And yet we still, when we start like getting excited, we want to go back to the old ways. And it's, like in one sense, is a, is a good aspect of finding the ancient past. But there's also a bad habit of just doing it exactly the way we know how. And I saw this picture. It was almost like when Azza touches the ark, where it's like he kind of knows better than God. And it's, I felt God caution me. It's like, don't, don't put your hands on what I'm doing. And part of it is it's when, when we want to have a prayer meeting and it's like, I want a powerful prayer meeting the way that I knew back in the past. And it's actually, what if I want to do a gentle work? What if I, I want to work amongst you um, just in a far quieter, gentler way? Because everything in the world is we longing for peace. We could, we could go on like the... Um, political realm we, we're trying to fight for peace it's like ironic we're fighting for peace and we, we we're looking and we want peace in like ukraine and like russia but then everybody's kind of involved and in supporting ukraine but nobody's even really negotiating for peace and what we, we're not sure what's happening there and we're like god we, we just know that you need to move and then we've got dj and jane over there helping refugees and then there's chaos in like the uk at the moment one of the sports like reporters is in like hot water because he he made a comment about the government's stance on re taking refugees from albania and there's division there and it's like political things are affecting even like the sports reporters and what they're doing and it's this funny little thing of everything is connected and our lives are connected and then we look in south africa and it's like we, we worried about like load shedding but then the guy who's supposed to fix load shedding is going, kind of being like, assassinated or attempted assassination. And then he, he steps out and then he accuses and then they accuse back and everybody is fighting. And then we come into church and it's like, oh, it's, it's my way versus your way and my church versus your church. And there's just not unity. And I'm saying, God, how, why is there such a longing for peace inside of us? 
And in words of Augustine, it's like because our hearts are restless until they find our rest in you, God. Or in mixed words, it's like, I can't get no satisfaction. It's, I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm looking. It's just wearing an appropriate shirt today, Danny. And yeah, that's why the shirt stood out for me. I'm like, nice. Um, but it's we're longing for this satisfaction. We're longing for peace. We're looking and we're striving everywhere. And we're chasing after it and we're fighting for it. And what I said was this, this satisfaction creates an anxiety, a frustration that motivates us to move and act and transform the world around us because we were created to steward the world. But sin has crept in, so it, it, it captures and it corrupts all of those innate desires inside of us. And for men, it's like we want to go and we want to build and we want to create and we want to fix things. But then that gets corrupted and it becomes like I have to do and do and do and do. And then your carving out of a career becomes like the creation of a, a tomb or a chamber that actually traps you. And then women, it's like you created to love and connect us. And you created for a relationship and your, your heart's desire should be for your husband and will be. And your heart's desire is to actually connect humans in general. But then you're so longing for love that that love actually becomes something that crushes you. And then the loneliness crushes you. And then the, the relationship crushes you. And it doesn't matter where we're going, we're fighting and we're fighting and we're fighting for peace. When God is saying, I want to be your peace. I want to step in and actually give you peace. So that gives us the, the Old Testament. The Israelites had a concept of shalom. And you may have heard it before, but shalom is a Hebrew word that is commonly translated as peace. But its meaning goes much deeper than that. Shalom encompasses a sense of wholeness, completeness, a well-being in all aspects of life, physical, emotional, spiritual. It involves the reconciliation of broken relationships, the restoration of justice, and the flourishing of all creation. Shalom is not just, not simply the absence of conflict, but the presence of true harmony and flourishing. It is a powerful, transformative vision for a world where all people and all of creation can thrive in peace and unity. It is literally the opposite. Like, or if we think about it as like this picture of peace, we're longing for shalom, actually. We're longing for this wholeness, this all of life wholeness. Because if we look at just like the English word peace, and we're like, what's the opposite of peace? It's a war. It's like, yes, but it's also anxiety. And it's frustration, and it's our separation, and it's our poverty, and it's the brokenness in the world, and it's sin. All of that is the opposite of that peace with God. Because we might see like war in general, and we're longing for peace, but actually we're longing for peace in our own lives. It's like how much, how many of you, it's like we, we just distract ourselves because world and life and the challenges and the, our own mind is enough to, to actually just work us up. It's like you lie down in bed. How many people talk about it? It's like, I actually can't sleep. I'm struggling to sleep. Why? Because your mind goes round and round and round and round. And what about my kids? What about my future? What about my this? What about that? What about, what about the country? What, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen in a month's time? What's going to happen in a year's time? And it's what if, what if, what if? Why can't I find love? Why can't I find friendship? Why can't my kids just get it right? Why can't my church just get it right? Why can't my boss just see? Why can't that guy at work just see? Why can't they... And it's your mind goes round and round and round and round and round and round and round. And I was, 
Like I felt God reveal something to me the other day. The battle and the spiritual battle, the spiritual warfare in that moment is you put on the helmet of salvation. When you're lying in bed and you're going round and round and round and round and round, you put on the helmet of salvation. And it's not this spooky thing of like, okay, I'll put it on. Thank you, Lord. Yes. It's actually, it's realizing it's God. You know what? I'm worried about tomorrow, but you are there. You are going to be with me tomorrow. And I'm worried about a month's time, but you know what? You're going to be there in a month's time. And I'm worried about my kids, but you are there, God. And I'm worried about my colleague, but you know what? I can't control them and I can't fix them. I can only control my own actions. And God, you are changing me. And you have saved me. And you are saving me. And you will save me. So I put on the helmet of salvation. And my mind does not need to run away with me. That mental health, whether it's depression or anxiety or frustration or just your dreams of where you want to be, God can step into that and actually give you peace. Shalom. We see some just examples of shalom in the Old Testament where one of the first parts is actually where God promises Abraham. It's like, actually, you will go to your fathers in peace. So we get one of our common like phrases with peace is rest in peace. It's actually, it's like we want to, to go to the grave. We want to die in peace. And that's not like a, it's like everybody's kind of peaceful once you're dead. But it's, it's actually, you want to go to the grave almost in wholeness where there's a, I've done what I was called to do. I've achieved what I was called to do. And Abraham, the promise was actually, trust me and go to that land. And he, he did. He left his, his home and he went with God and he created a future for all of us. It's like if you were ever in kids ministry, it's Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them, so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm. <laughs> so it's like, it's, it's in his obedience where he actually, he achieved what God had called him to do. And that's a part of the peace that we're longing for. But it takes that obedience of actually going. The next one we see is Jacob when he's wrestling with Abimelech. And in the story in Genesis 26, they're fighting and they're trying to figure out how to live together with those that are far from God. And they find a well and then the people steal it. And then they find a well and then the people steal it. And then they dig a well and then the people steal it. And like time and time again, until they actually find like a spacious place. And they find a way of reconciling and living with those that are technically their enemy. And actually, they go away in shalom. And they go away in peace. And they've learned to operate in peace with the world around them. Then you see Jacob asking Laban, is it well? Is it shalom with you? And I was thinking of that song. It's like we sing it so easily. that It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. That song was written by Horatio Spafford. That once he had lost... I think it's his three daughters and his wife, like, where actually he got a telegram basically saying, like, oh no, his wife was saved, but saved alone. And it's like he had lost everything. And in that depth of pain and brokenness, he said, It is well with my soul. And it's that, is it, it is well, is it is shalom with me. Can we say that once we've lost like, uh, what's closest to us? Actually, because I know God and I know what He has done for me, 
who He is. I know that actually my eternity is secure. We are able to say, it is shalom. It is right with me. It is whole. Like, I am whole. So that's the Old Testament and the hectic part. Now we're going to get into the really practical stuff. Um, I actually read a book yesterday on this. He's talking about the peace index. And he's like, there's a a TED talk on it. If you want the 20-minute version, not read the whole book. But he, he talks about like everybody here has a number above their head. And it's, it's almost like a, a, a life coach kind of practice, but he's saying there's, there's a peace index above your head between like zero and 100 on how peaceful you actually are. And that peace index is, let's see if I've got it, yeah. So it's, it's made up of a combination of factors of your purpose, your place, your provision, your personal health, and, your, and the people around you. So he technically says, like, go around and like, think about it. Your purpose is what you're doing in life. How much what you're doing in life matches with who you are. It's like, do you know who you are? Do you know what you're called for? Do you know what your, your giftings are, what your abilities are? Is that corresponding to, to what you're doing in life? Sometimes there's a, there's a disconnect there, so you're really frustrated. So I don't know what your percentage is. Then our place, it's our environment. What is the, your, your, your home life like? What is your, you, you have the concept of like your first place, second place, third place. Starbucks and coffee shops made a big deal of that because generally your first place is your home, your second place is your work, your third place is where you live. It's like, it's the place where you get to go because you want to. It's like, oh, what does that look like? What, what does your environment look like? Where do you go? Church is one of those third places. And it's like, it's your chosen places that you go to the people that I surround myself with. We go to people. What are your relationships like? You might feel like you're isolated, you're alone, but, but actually all of us have people in our lives and we're longing for more. And that's, it's like, how, how are you doing in that? Your personal health. It's not just your physical health. It's not just your diet, but it's your, your mind, your body, your soul, your spirit. Like, how, how are you doing? Your provision. Provision is your, your finances, your, your resources. You, have you got what you need? And there's, there's large challenges. It's like what we, what we need and what we want is like a, sometimes a tough conversation. I find it funny that Charlene was coming today. It's just when I'm doing kind of touching on stuff like life coaching and... She could probably give you a far better talk and understanding on how to actually address these elements and what you need to do. But like, there's something of, we, we can give a percentage on how we're doing with this. And so often we, we, especially at church, it's like, hey, how's it going? How are you doing? No, I'm good. Good. Okay, cool. Cheers. We don't actually get into, how, how are you really doing? How's it going in your, in your real life? What's actually happening? How are you doing spiritually, mentally, physically? How, how is your family? What's actually happening? How can I help? And there's the elements of this that determines like our peace index. We're actually, are we at peace with where God wants us? With what God is doing? Because that's what we're longing for. We're longing for shalom. We're longing for all of these to be right. And unfortunately, we can only take responsibility for our side of it. We can't take responsibility for the other people in our life. And our situations. And there's only limited control we have on the external forces. So I, I had some questions. 
Do you know who you are? What you are good at? How intentional are you about your home environment, your room, your commute? Where do you spend most of your time? What goes into your diary first? What relationships do you prioritize? Do you pursue? Who do you look up to? What are you looking out for? Who are you looking out for? How are you doing health-wise? How's your diet? How's your exercise? How are you doing intellectually? Are you actually learning more? Are you striving to understand more? How are you doing spiritually? Are you finding ways to engage with God daily, weekly? Are you, are you pursuing Him? Finances, do you have enough? Maybe you don't. But what can you control? Maybe we need to understand what do you need versus what do you want? And how can you change the situation? So that's where he goes in and it's like we look at all of this and it's our personal health, our body, soul, spirits, our, the people around us, our relationships, family, marriage, uh, friendship, provision. What, what do we have versus what we need? And we, we combine all of those and we get like this target that we're aiming at and we can try and figure it out. I can try and give you a nice um, teaching on it. And I think this is an important part of discipleship, of finding somebody that can help you walk through these steps, that can actually help you walk through and think through them and think through them from a, a biblical perspective. Because the New Testament concept of almost shalom is actually the kingdom of God, where we're longing for the kingdom, we're longing for peace. I think our heart's desire is, is almost like David where it says in Psalm 120, I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. It feels like we go to work and it's like, I'm for peace, but they're for war. We go to our families, it's like, I'm trying to fight for peace and they're for war. But it's, it's actually, we, we don't understand the kingdom. We don't necessarily understand what Jesus has done for us. So we come into it thinking, I'm right, so they're wrong. Not actually, can we be peacemakers in this situation? So <laughs> in Romans it says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbringing, upbuilding. Or Isaiah, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's actually the increase of his government. It's actually as God's kingdom comes in Jesus, and it starts to take shape in our lives, that's when we actually start to feel and embrace that peace, that shalom. Because as much as Israel longed for it, they could never experience full shalom. It's like they longed for it, but they never got the full inheritance of their land. And then they were in exile. And then there was conflict. And Solomon was supposed to bring them peace, but then he became a bit of a tyrant. Then David was supposed to bring them peace. And he was like the king and the prince of peace almost. And he established a kingdom of peace. And he was a man after God's own heart, but he fell. And there's constantly this wrestle and a striving. And we're longing to find that peace and that shalom. But it can only be found in Jesus. And in Philippians 4. So this was actually, all of that was built up just to try and get to this verse. 
So it's the pathway to peace, basically. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Like we want to find peace in this time, we want to find peace in our church, we want to find peace in our country. Start by rejoicing in the Lord. Start by rejoicing in Him and appreciating everything He's given us. Not what we don't have. What do we, what do we have? What has God given us? Rejoice in the Lord. Thank you, God, for what you have given me. Body, soul, spirit, everything. It's like all of our life plays a part in this. We can't look at it and say, "Ah, I don't have this and I don't have that and I don't have that. It's like if we start there, we're going to come in with anxiety. We're going to come with disruption. We're going to come with disillusionment and like dissatisfaction. There's going to be comparison. We are sitting in a world that is saturated with that. It's like the entire marketing industry is designed to make you dissatisfied with your way of life. The entire like education industry is designed to make you dissatisfied with any ordinary life. It's like you have to do this and you have to do that and you have to do more and we have to do more and we have to do more and we have to do more. And unfortunately, there's an aspect of church that is brought into that same like way of life where it's like I have to find more and more satisfaction and more and more achievement and more and more like I have to look better and be better and show that actually we've got the power. I always think of it like we've got the spirit. Yes, we do. We've got the spirit. How about you? It's like the whole thing is it's like actually I want to show you how powerful I am. I want to show you how powerful my theology is because look at my life. Look how perfect I am. Look how perfect my church is. Look how perfect we are. Then they'll believe. Like no. Maybe they'll believe when we love. When we have peace. When we're not acting exactly the same as everybody else in the world. Second aspect, pray. Because there is still going to be that dissatisfaction. There is still going to be, we're going to see, actually, you know what? The world is not as it could be. The shalom, that whole idea was actually, it was a just society. Where everybody had their place. Everybody had their inheritance. The whole goal was so that everybody would be cared for. So widows and orphans were looked after. Where if somebody passed away, that their sons and their daughters would inherit and find a restoration. There was even like the year of Jubilee where actually if you got into dire straits and you had to sell everything and you lost everything of your family, every 50 years that should be restored. And we can give it another go and we can try again and you can have a fresh start. I love the book of Jonah where it's like God says, God, Jonah, go for me. And he says, no. So he gives him a second chance. And Jonah's like, okay, no, just kill me. It's like, and he gives him a third chance. And he saves him. And then he spits him out. And he's like, I don't really want to do this. And he, okay, I'll do it. And 
He does it, but with a wrong heart, and he's upset with what he's done, and God gives him a, a third chance, and a fourth chance, and that's our God. It's like, even when you mess up, even when you're angry, even when you're frustrated, he actually gives you a chance after chance after chance after chance. But take that chance. In Hebrews, it says, like, today is the day of salvation. Take that chance. Like, change it today. Change your relationship today. Change your mindset today. And think differently. So think about what God has done for you. We have that helmet of salvation. You can control your mind. The Spirit comes in to actually give us self-control. Part of that is to control the way that we think. I 100% believe that that is our, almost our primary aspect in like spiritual warfare, is controlling the way that we think about situations. Because the way that we think influences the way that we live and what we, what we do, how we act to other people. Actually, we, we get to be given the mind of Christ to think from a kingdom perspective on other people, about other people, about situations. And our kingdom perspective allows us to think differently. You know that person that hurts us? I can forgive them. You know that person that did that wrong thing? Actually, I can forgive them and I can love them. Saying, you know what? How can I actually make a difference in that situation? That person that hurt me, how can I bring restoration there? Maybe, it's, maybe you can't, but maybe you can. Maybe if you actually step in and say, you know what, I'm sorry for my part. I was also wrong. What you did really hurt me, but you know what, I'm really sorry. How can we restore this? How can I bring healing? How can I make peace? Jesus says the peacemakers will be called sons of God. And we learn to act differently because we've, we've thanked God. And the brokenness we've actually taken to God to say, God, I can't fix this situation, but I pray that you would. Then we think differently and we learn to actually act differently. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. I can't say that like Paul. Paul arrogantly says, like, basically imitate me as I imitate Christ. But actually, what I have seen around here, what I have seen in the lives of my parents, in Tristan's life, in Kamal's life, in Anton and Lynn's life, where I've seen the gospel come and actually transform hearts and lives, where I've seen them sacrifice, where I've seen them love, where I've seen them care, where I've seen them forgive, where I've seen them humble themselves, where I've seen them actually submit to, to ways that they weren't understanding, where I've seen my dad be generous. And it's like, but you don't know, like, you don't know what they're going to do with it. It's like, I don't care. I'm going to be generous. It's like, but they're abusing you. Yeah, but I'm going to be generous because maybe this time they'll see and they'll understand the heart of God. But time and time and time again, it's, we love the story of the prodigal son coming back to God. But the story is actually about a prodigal God who is lavishly generous with his wealth. And he gives 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 freedom and he gives forgiveness even when we don't deserve it. And it says the peace of God. Peace of God which surpasses all understanding. It's like we won't necessarily understand how this makes sense. How can you have faith and hope and peace in South Africa in this time? Because I know my God. How can you have peace in a world that is so like fractured and broken and lost? 
Because I know God. I'm not searching for truth. Truth has found me. So many in the world, like, you see these, like, there's large, like, debates. Atheists and, like, the most intellectual guys are trying to rediscover Christianity and trying to, like, support it from, like, an evolutionary perspective. And they're working so hard to find what's been revealed in the Scripture already. And they really, you can see them wrestling and they're trying to go back to the classics and they're rediscovering Greek philosophy and then they're finding how this has been like developed on in the Enlightenment and scientists have discovered this. And, and what they're finding at the bottom is it's like, you know what has shaped our culture is Jesus. The reason why we love and care for widows and orphans, the reason why the whole of like UK is like, like fighting is because they've actually got Christian values that have influenced them to the depth of their core that they see people that are hurting and broken and they don't even realize that they have been influenced by Jesus. They've been influenced and discipled by the kingdom. But we need to restore that in our own lives so that we can restore that power and strength again. And the amazing thing is that actually it doesn't say that the peace of God will be with you says you will have a peace that surpasses understanding. But what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So we can go through that peace index and we can sort out things in your life and that can, can help to make better decisions. And you can get better understanding on the place and yourself and your purpose and your relationship and the people in your life and that's helpful and it's healthy but the reality is what we need to realize is we need to rejoice in the Lord we need to take our problems first to God not come with our own plans we need to think on what God has done for us what he, look at what he's done in our community in just a year and a half look at the change in lives look at what you're doing thank you God I rejoice in that and actually after thinking about that, I want to live like that. And I want to put it into practice. And I want to love. And I want to care. And I want to learn to love better. And I want to learn to love more, God. Because I want to become a disciple of Christ. Like Paul says, I yearn. And I'm in anguish. In, like a mother in childbirth. So that Christ will be formed in you. So that the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will settle on your hearts and your minds and what you are doing. And doesn't have to, you don't have to be worried. Actually, the God of peace will be with you. He will be with you tomorrow. And he'll be with you next week. And he'll be with you in a month's time. And he'll be with you in six months' time. And he'll be with you from now until eternity. There is nothing you can do to separate yourself from the love of Christ. From the God of peace. That is who we are. That is who we serve in. Because we have a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That might seem strange, but Melchizedek is the first mention of peace actually in the Bible. Where he came in as a strange figure who's the king of Salem, the king of Shalom, the king of peace. And if you ask me, he's, he's a, a foreshadowing of Jesus. That he comes in to Abraham We actually start getting the communion. Because Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. 
when he met Abraham. He was priest of God Most High. He was the priest of God Most High, the God of peace. And he blessed Abraham and said, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. So it's this strange like, picture of actually Abraham like, re- responded to God or to, the, to, to Melchizedek as if to God and saying, you know what? I'm actually even going to give up a tenth of what I have. It's the first institution of like the tithe. It's actually just saying, God, I trust you with my finances. I trust you for my future. It's a similar picture to God instituting the Sabbath where in an agrarian society you worked and worked and worked and worked and worked. The harder you worked, the more you got out. Where God comes in and says, actually, no, my people will be people that can rest one day a week. That revolutionized the world. Where actually, it's not all up to you to fix it all. It's not all up to you to fix everything with your finances. You can trust God with them. He can do more with that 90 than what you can do with 100%. He can do more with your six days than what you can do with seven days. So we're going to take communion now. Oh Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand that you are the Prince of Peace. I pray that your government would come into our lives. Your order, your, your rightful ways, Lord. Your plans, your purposes. Thank you for your body. I thank you for your blood.